We are also on YouTube where you can watch our TV shows, Africa 54. This is VOA News via remote. I'm Tommy McNeil. A U.S. official says at least 40 people have been found dead inside a tractor trailer in a presumed migrant smuggling attempt in South Texas. The official says 15 others in the truck were taken to hospitals in San Antonio where the bodies were found Monday. The official spoke to the Associated Press on the condition of anonymity because the information had not been authorized for public release. Ukrainian officials say scores of civilians are feared killed or injured after a Russian missile strike hit a crowded shopping mall. VOA's Joe Ramsey reports. Zelensky's dress, the target, presented no threat to the Russian army and had no strategic value. Late Monday, Ukraine's emergency service reported at least 16 people were dead and about 60 wounded. Rescuers worked into the night to search for victims. The missile strike unfolded as Western leaders pledged continued support for Ukraine and the world's major economies prepared new sanctions against Russia, including a price cap on oil and higher tariff on goods. Joe Ramsey, VOA News. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky underscored the urgency of helping his country's military improve its position against Russia during a video meeting with the leading economic powers. Zelensky, in his remarks on Monday to the Group of Seven Summit, addressed the delegacy of the moment for Ukraine in its war with Russia. The Ukrainian leader's comments came as G7 leaders prepared to unveil plans to pursue a price cap of Russian oil, raise tariffs on Russian goods, and impose other new sanctions. The G7 leaders, in turn, pledged to support Ukraine for as long as it takes. This is VOA News. Three people were killed. Dozens were hurt in an Amtrak crash in the in Missouri. AP correspondent Mike Gracia. An Amtrak train traveling from Los Angeles to Chicago collided with a dump truck in a remote area of Missouri Monday afternoon, killing three people. Two on the train and one in the dump truck. Corporal Justin Dunn of Missouri Highway Patrol. The train had approximately 207 passengers as well as crew members. Hospitals reported receiving more than 40 people who were injured in the crash and more were expected. Amtrak officials said seven cars derailed. The collision was at a rural intersection on a gravel road with no lights or electric controls. It was the second Amtrak collision in as many days. Sunday afternoon, three people were killed when an Amtrak commuter train smashed into a car in Northern California. I'm Mike Gracia. Hundreds of so-called crisis pregnancy centers are located across every state in the U.S. Now that the Supreme Court has ruled that states can make abortion illegal, experts say that these centers are likely to redouble their efforts to persuade women not to end their pregnancies. The logistics work in their favor since many women won't have the legal option of abortion without leaving their state. Some 2,500 pregnancy centers are located across the country, while there are fewer than 800 abortion clinics. Often religiously affiliated, the anti-abortion centers are not licensed medical facilities and do not provide medical services such as pre- or postnatal care or other health care for uninsured women. 
Facebook and Instagram have begun promptly removing posts that offer abortion pills to women who may not be able to have access to them uh, following the Supreme Court decision that stripped away constitutional protections for the procedure. Memes and status updates explain how women could legally get abortion pills in the mail. Some even offer to mail the prescriptions to women living in a state that has banned the procedure. Facebook and Instagram responded by removing some of the posts. The platform's parent company, Meta, says that uh, it has a policy against gifting or selling pharmaceutical drugs. The Biden administration has suspended an order that had focused resources for the arrest and deportation of immigrants and on those considered a threat to public safety and national security. The action over the weekend followed a ruling this month from a federal judge in Texas. Advocates and experts say the move announced Saturday will only uh, sow fear uh, among immigrant communities. Uh, Cornell University law professor says many immigrants will be now be afraid to leave their homes out of concern they'll be detained. Recapping our top story, a U.S. official says at least 40 people have been found dead inside a tractor trail in a presumed migrant smuggling attempt in South Texas. There is more at voanews.com. Via remote, I'm Tommy McNeil, VOA News. International edition. I am Chinedu Afo in Washington. Coming up in the next half hour, Ukraine's president calls for more military assistance from NATO as Russia continues to strike key cities. Today, unfortunately, Odessa and Odessa region is the main target, at least from the beginning of the day, and Odessa region suffered the most. NATO says the military alliance plans to increase the size of its rapid reaction forces. I expect it will make clear that allies consider Russia as the most significant and direct threat to our security. And 10 people die in a chlorine gas leak from a storage tank at Jordan's Aqaba port. We'll have these stories and more next on International Edition. Stay tuned. Ukrainian officials say scores of civilians are feared killed or injured after a Russian missile strike hit a crowded shopping mall in the central city of Kremenchuk. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky called the number of victims, quote, unimaginable, unquote, and labeled it a, quote, terrorist attack, unquote. He said more than 1,000 civilians were inside at the time of the attack. Zelensky also underscored the urgency of helping his country's military improve its position against Russia during a video meeting with a group of seven leading economic powers. For more, VOA's Flashpoint Ukraine, Steve Miller, spoke with reporter Anna Chernikova. Today, unfortunately, Odessa and Odessa region is the main target, at least from the beginning of the day, and Odessa region suffered the most. In particular, there are villages and little towns which are close to the border, so mostly the attacks from the side of the sea, but the attacks were accomplished again as yesterday using the bombardments 222, the strategic aircrafts, to put it correctly. What we know from the official report is that the missile attack hit the residential area of a peaceful village. We know that at least 65 houses were 
heavily damaged. Four of them were burned down completely, so no possibility to restore that, only rebuilding. And we know that for the moment, there are eight civilians who were injured. Two of them are queens of three years old. Unfortunately, these numbers could change, but we will hope that this information would not be too much different in a couple of hours. But for the moment, this is what we know. We know also that this attack is something like the continuing of what happened yesterday, because yesterday Kyiv was also attacked from two aircrafts. And just now, we know that uh, there were hits at Kremenchuk area, it's Poltava region. And Anna, I also understand there's been some activity around what's known as Snake Island in the Black Sea. Military officials were quite silent about any activities at Zmyini for the past couple of weeks, but there were reports from internal sources that something is going on. So today we received confirmation that actually Ukrainian forces started and for the moment continue a military operation at Zmyini Island. And today Ukrainian armed forces hit the island with 10 attacks. For the moment, what we know that Ukrainian forces managed to destroy quite a lot of servicemen of the Russian Federation. And also what is quite huge, they damaged very badly the anti-aircraft gun complex Panzer, which is one of the best that Russian Federation has. And this was located at Mini Island and it was actually protecting the seas, all the warships that were going at the sea and basically it was covering the sky above Black Sea and it's quite a big success for Ukrainian forces. That's reporter Anna Chernikova speaking VOA's flashpoint Ukraine Steve Miller from Kyiv. UN spokesman Stefan Dujarek said the United Nations is concerned about intensifying fighting in Ukraine and what it called the quote deplorable unquote attack on a shopping mall. Regional Governor Dmitry Lunin said at least 10 people were killed in a Russian missile strike on a mall in Kremenchuk in central Ukraine on Monday. Just a few hours ago, our colleagues in Ukraine say missiles struck in the center of Kremenchuk, which had until recently not been impacted by the war. A shopping mall was struck. Authorities believe there may be a large number of civilians inside. We do not have yet any hard numbers on casualties, but whatever that number is, any attack that hits a shopping mall is utterly deplorable. During the weekend in the capital, Kyiv uh, was hit again and a residential building was damaged with some people trapped in the debris. Missiles have also struck areas in the west of the country far from the front lines. Fighting also continues in the Donbass region where our humanitarian colleagues are facing tremendous challenges in reaching people who are facing increasing needs. The challenges are not only due to insecurity but also to lack of access due to administrative restrictions imposed by the parties. We once again stress that the parties are obliged under international humanitarian law to protect civilians and civilian infrastructure. That's UN spokesperson Stefan Dujeric. Russia's defense ministry on Monday denied responsibility for a missile strike that hit a Kyiv residential building, saying it was likely caused by a failure of Ukraine's air defense system. In a statement, the Russian defense ministry said on Monday, it had fired four missiles that hit their targets at arms factory in Kyiv. However, the ministry said it believed the Ukrainian Buck missile's defense system by mistake intercepted a Ukrainian-fired S-300 air defense missile, which, quote, fell on a residential building, unquote. NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg said the military alliance will increase the size of its rapid reaction forces as part of its response to an era of strategic competition 
as leaders continue discussions on further sanctions against the Kremlin. Our new concept will guide us in an era of strategic competition. I expect it will make clear that allies consider Russia as the most significant and direct threat to our security. That's NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg. President Joe Biden is aiming to sustain a global alliance punishing Russia for its invasion of Ukraine as he continues a five-day trip to Europe. His trip comes as the four-month-old war shows no sign of abating and its aftershocks to global food and energy supplies are only deepening. Biden joined a meeting of the group of seven leading economic powers in the Bavarian Alps of Germany before traveling to Madrid for his NATO summit. Reports indicate that leaders are also discussing ways to tighten sanctions on the purchase of Russian oil by some nations. For more, I reached VOA White House correspondent Anita Powell in Telfs, Austria. The members of the G7 at least appear to be very united. The host, Chancellor Olaf Scholz, came out today condemning Russia's behavior. As you know, there's been an increase in missile strikes over the weekend on Ukrainian targets. And so that is definitely the tone of all of these leaders. The sticky issue is that these leaders have proposed imposing a price cap on oil, sort of like the opposite of a cartel, where the buyers say, you know, we're going to only pay so much for your oil. That's great, but one of the bigger buyers of Russian oil right now is India. So Prime Minister Narendra Modi was invited to the G7 for this specific reason, so that ostensibly these leaders could talk to him about cutting India's reliance and purchases of Russian oil. Now, that remains to be seen whether that's going to happen. The president talked about uh, efforts by the United States and, of course, the allies to do something and counter China's growing influence, at least in infrastructure development in developing countries. How is that shaping up? Is that an achievable objective? The president said about this initiative, which I believe is called like the Global Partnership for Infrastructure or some such. The name keeps changing. And this I mentioned because that is indicative maybe of the idea that the plan keeps changing. What he announced yesterday is a $600 billion plan to offer a better deal, so to speak, to developing nations that need to develop infrastructure. His argument is that democracies can offer a better deal, better loans, better morals, better standards, better values than the obvious competitor, which is China. But here is the problem. This money is coming from seven different sources. China's Belt and Road Initiative comes from one source. And so there's always going to be complications here. If you think that U.S. procurement procedures are complicated, just wait until you look at the EU's procedures and rules. So this could be really caught up in in all of the details. This will take more time. And also, developing countries do not always appreciate lectures from the West or the United States when it comes to what they should do, how they should do it. And this is going to be a factor as the U.S. and Europe try to present an alternative to China. That's VOA White House correspondent Anita Powell speaking with me from Telfs, Austria. In other news, 10 people died and 251 were injured in a chlorine gas leak from a storage tank at Jordan's Aqaba port. Officials and state media reported on Monday as authorities called on residents to shut windows and stay indoors. Officials said the leak came after a tank filled with 25 tons of chlorine gas being exported to Djibouti fell while being transported. A video posted on state television's Twitter page showed a storage tank falling from a wrench and slamming into the deck of a ship, followed by yellow-colored gas rising into the air as people ran away. 
City health officials called on residents to close their windows and stay in their homes, according to State TV. For more on this story and other breaking news, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Remember to connect with us on social media. We are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Search for VOA Africa. You are listening to VOA's International Edition. I am Chine Rofo in Washington. Greece is set to further seal its land frontiers with rival neighbor Turkey, tripping the size of a soaring fence built to block illegal migrants from sneaking in. The plan comes as Greece faces a sudden surge in refugees, both along its land and sea frontiers, as relations with age-old foe deteriorates. Anthe Karasava reports from Athens. Greece began extending the security fence at its rugged border with Turkey last year, a decade after Athens initially built a 13-kilometer fence in the region to stem the tide of illegal migration. But a sudden surge in refugee flows has authorities concerned now. Migration Minister Notis Mitarakis explains. There is a clear attempt by Turkey, he says, to instrumentalize migrants in creating a crisis with Greece. And the numbers, he says, speak for themselves. While inflows have dropped dramatically from the one million mainly Syrians who spilled into the country during the 2015 refugee crisis, an estimated 1,000 migrants make illegal crossings a day. That's about 20% higher than last year. Hundreds of additional border guards have been deployed along the so-called Everest frontier in recent weeks to bolster patrols. But with fears of a bigger migratory push looming, Mitaraki says Greece is wasting no time in moving ahead with plans to add 80 additional kilometers of barbed wire and steel to the existing 40-kilometer fence. How soon the project will begin remains unclear. But until it gets underway, Greece must deal with heightened migratory flows along its sea borders too, mainly in the massive Aegean waterway that divides Greece and Turkey. Nikos Panos, an admiral with the Greek Coast Guard, spells out the threats posed by this latest surge. Let's not kid ourselves, he says. He goes on to say, Turkey regulates all migratory flows into Greece and Europe. And if the floodgates open farther, it will be very difficult for us to block these inflows from inundating many Greek islands. In June, migration ministry officials counted nearly 3,000 migrants who tried to illegally cross into Greece from Turkey in a total of 82 attempts made. Only 72 asylum seekers managed to evade interception, with relations between Greece and longtime foe Turkey sinking to their lowest point in years. Authorities here are preparing for the worst. Anthe Karasava for VOA News, Athens. Thank you, Anthe. A World Health Organization independent committee of experts said the spread of monkeypox in a number of countries around the world is worrisome but does not constitute what the WHO calls a public health emergency of international concern. Lisa Schlein reports for VOA from Geneva. 
In early May, the World Health Organization was alerted to an outbreak of monkeypox in countries outside Africa where this deadly disease has been circulating for decades. Since then, more than 3,200 confirmed cases and one death have been identified in more than 50 non-African countries. This has set alarm bells ringing, as until now, only sporadic cases of monkeypox have occurred outside Africa. WHO Director General Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus calls the current outbreak an evolving health threat, noting the rapid spread of the disease into new countries and regions. He says the committee has agreed to reconvene another emergency meeting if appropriate. WHO spokesman Christian Lindemeyer tells VOA the committee has drawn up a list of factors that could trigger a reassessment of the event. Evidence of an increase in the rate of growth of cases reported in the next 21 days, including significant spread to and within additional countries, or to increase in, or if we see an increase in endemic countries. So evidence also of increased severity or a change in the viral genome associated with or leading to enhanced transmissibility. Monkeypox is a rare disease similar to smallpox. The virus causes rashes and flu-like symptoms. It is spread mainly through human contact with infected rodents, but sometimes can be spread through skin-to-skin contact with an infected person. The disease is mainly found in Central and West Africa. This year, WHO reports, there have been nearly 1,500 suspected cases of monkeypox and around 70 deaths primarily in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, Central African Republic, and Cameroon. Linda Meyer says cases of monkeypox have spread to the European region, to the Americas, as well as the Eastern Mediterranean and West Pacific regions. At this point, it's mainly in the newer countries affecting a community of, uh, of the LGBTQ plus community of men having sex with with men, but in the endemic countries, we've seen uh, also children and women infected a lot. Um, there's deaths occurring in the weaker communities, in the weaker populations. While questions regarding the monkeypox outbreak remain unresolved, WHO urges nations to remain vigilant and strengthen their ability to prevent transmission of the disease. The WHO Expert Committee advises countries to step up surveillance, improve diagnostics, and when appropriate, to use therapeutics and vaccines. It also recommends affected communities to implement public health measures, including contact tracing and isolation. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. NASA, the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, has successfully completed its first rocket launch from a commercial space facility outside the United States. A 13-meter rocket blasted off Monday from a site in Australian Outback. Phil Mercer reports from Sydney. Five, four, three, two, one, go! A 13-meter suborbital rocket took off from the newly built Arnhem Space Centre in Australia's Northern Territory Monday. Liftoff was delayed by about two hours because of strong winds and heavy rain. The launch was the first of its kind in Australia in more than 25 years, and the first of three scheduled NASA missions from the site. Researchers hope the information gathered from the flights will help them understand how light from a star could affect the habitability of nearby planets. They've said that this type of study 
can only be carried out in the southern hemisphere. The unmanned flight briefly scans the Milky Way, measuring X-ray emissions and analysing the structure of stars. Brad Tucker, an astrophysicist at the Australian National University, told Australian television that the launch is part of a project to boost the domestic space industry. When you build a satellite, you have to go overseas to do it. And so the fact that we are now seeing this buildup of launching from Australia, this is kind of that final piece of the puzzle to having, you know, a really massive industry in this sector of space. And then when you see that kind of the first group that says, yeah, we want to do it, we want to be a part of the story is NASA, you know, it just kind of is the the street cred, so to speak, that, uh, you know, you're on the right track for what you're thinking. The Arnhem Space Centre is the world's only commercially owned equatorial launch facility. The centre is built on Aboriginal land. Tribal elders hope the project will provide jobs and opportunities for young First Nations people. Officials said the centre combines one of the oldest cultures in the world with some of the most advanced technology ever. The next NASA rocket will be launched in the Northern Territory on July 4 and the third will take off on July 12. About 75 NASA staff have travelled to Northern Australia for all three launches. Australia is working to increase its capabilities in space. This year, it announced a new defence agency that would work to counter China and Russia's ambitions in space. Along with the United States, the two countries are reported to have tested weapons that could destroy a satellite. The Australian Space Agency was created in July 2018 to support the growth and transformation of the nation's space industry. Phil Mercer for VOA News, Sydney. Hello, I'm Carol Castiel, host of VOA's Encounter. Join me and two advocates from the world of politics, public policy, or academia debating critical and controversial issues of our day, bringing depth, perspective, and insight to the world around us. You can listen to Encounter on Saturdays and Sundays. That's Encounter, every Saturday and Sunday on The Voice of America. And to all our VOA listeners, please note we have moved our programs to a new website, voaafrica.com, from voanews.com. There you will find all your favorite VOA radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. Find us on voaafrica.com, and thanks for listening. This has been International Edition on The Voice of America. On behalf of the entire production team, thank you so much for listening. Visit our website for in-depth coverage of world events and news 24 hours a day at voaafrica.com. Until next time, I am Chinedofo in Washington. Have a great day.
Next, an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. The right to freedom of expression, including freedom of the press, faces profound challenges in our own hemisphere and around the world, declared Secretary of State Antony Blinken at the Media Summit of Americas in Los Angeles. He highlighted three common challenges in media and what the United States is doing to tackle them. In order to combat disinformation, the State Department has launched the first hub of the Digital Communication Network of the Americas, a network of journalists, civil society, and government officials who collectively can address and counter state-sponsored propaganda. They will also address journalist safety. Another challenge is the ongoing threats, harassment, and violence faced by members of the press across a hemisphere, said Secretary Blinken. At least 17 journalists have been killed in this hemisphere in this year, according to the UNESCO Observatory of Killed Journalists, including most recently Yesenia Molinedo and Sheila Johanna Garcia, the director, and a reporter of the news website El Baraz in Veracruz, Mexico, shot to death on May the 9th. No region in the world is more dangerous for journalists. Governments are using legislation to quash free expression, as seen in the recent slate of restrictions adopted by El Salvador in the spring. In Cuba, Nicaragua, Venezuela, the simple act of carrying out investigative journalism is a crime. In response, the United States is working across the region to strengthen the rule of law and train judges and prosecutors to investigate and prosecute such attacks. USAID will provide up to $9 million to support a Global Defamation Defense Fund for journalists, which will offer liability coverage for reporters and news organizations targeted with unjust litigation. And the State Department is investing up to $3.5 million to launch a journalism protection platform that will protect and train journalists under threat. Third, the U.S. is working to make independent media more sustainable, said Secretary Blinken. We've committed $30 million to the International Fund for Public Interest Media, which will focus on assisting media and resource poor and unstable settings, and $5 million to improve the financial viability of independent media outlets. A free, independent press across the Western Hemisphere is more important now than ever, said Secretary Blinken, for the well-being of our people, for the well-being of our communities, and for the well-being of our democracies. That was an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government.